Even if you don't work in marketing, you've probably heard the terms customer centricity, put the customer first, design thinking, empathy, all these terms are saturated in the business world today. But where do we start? When a lot of folks think about like understanding the customer, the flip side is like, if you don't, you kind of look like the idiot, right? (laughs) In this episode, consumer psychologist Hannah Shamji dives deep into some techniques to help you understand your customer better. Go towards actions and decisions. Like, what happened? When did you first start thinking about this? Paint the picture for me. Oh, did you talk to someone before you did that or you just bought? But why did you, did you go on the website and you had the tab open for a few days? Like, I am trying to map it. Like, I'm getting this story. This is that conflict of actions speak louder than words. These techniques aren't just about marketing. They're about understanding how you fit into the world around you. It's definitely been helpful. I do think it has allowed me to have much deeper relationships with people. Hannah shares the most common trap people fall into when trying to understand their customer better. I typically stay away from why altogether. If you ask someone why they do something, they probably don't know why they did. So me asking that is just not gonna give me anything. We've all got a customer. It might be your boss, it might be another department in your organization, or a paying consumer. How well do you understand your customer? Plus, if you keep listening, there's a secret message hidden inside this episode. Hannah and I are working on a special collaboration and we need your help. If you're a little bit curious like me, and you love hearing from some super smart people, I think you'll get a lot out of this show. Welcome to The Thought Follower. I'm Joe Mackay. I've always had a lot of questions about life, and this show is my quest to find some answers. Each week, I chat to a thought leader to hear what's going on in their space. Before we get into the episode, I need your help. Please hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this. I'm on a mission to learn the art of listening, and I'd love for you to be part of the journey. With that done, let's jump into the chat. So my guest on the show today is a consumer psychologist. She's a former practicing psychotherapist and she's conducted over a thousand customer interviews to help businesses understand their customers better. Hannah Shamji, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Joe. I'm excited to be here. Before we get into it, I could tell that you know what you're talking about because I've recorded about 15 episodes now and I think you're the first who actually asked me about my audience demographic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who are we talking to? So I could tell that uh, putting the customer first is absolutely what you're all about. Um, <laughs> we we can get into this, but I think a lot of when a lot of folks think about like understanding the customer, the flip side is like if you don't, you kind of look like the idiot, right? Like I, you could just be talking or marketing or whatever to like you're just not reading the room. So I think that's the other piece that people kind of miss, like, especially in this case, I'm like, wait, but who, who are we speaking to here? Right. Cause there's a lot of like saving face too, in, in understanding the customer. How would you explain what you do in a few sentences? So I help companies decode primarily why their customers buy, but that opens out into a bigger umbrella of how they think, how they operate, what makes them tick. So they can feed that insight into better marketing or messaging decisions, business decisions, even where to allocate resources, what should be priority. So we're not necessarily creating 
new things for them to do, but helping them do what they're already doing faster. That's the core of the service that I do work with a lot of SaaS companies, business to business, which is always very much more complicated, right? Than like selling to a direct consumer. Yeah, that's kind of the core of the work that I do. Amazing. And so I think you started out as a practicing psychotherapist. What was that like and, and how did you make the transition to where you are now? Yeah, it's a bit of a windy story. So I have been a qualitative researcher for about 12 years now. I studied psychology, so I was doing research in psychology for a while. I was working in the health space, government research, nothing touching marketing for a good first six years or so. And then I kind of just one day decided I was sort of done with the corporate nine to five world, left that, no idea what I wanted to do. And then I discovered a curriculum, a school that was giving this training on to become a psychotherapist. And it was finding that, that I somehow bumped into marketing and copywriting at the same time and started to see that they weren't so parallel. They were actually intertwining mm -hmm. and, um, finished the psychotherapy training, didn't want to do it, loved the skills, got a lot out of it that I've applied in my, a lot of my work now, but I've, I slipped more into the research side of marketing, worked in an agency for about a year and a half. And I think that gave me the confidence to be like, oh, this is a thing. Like I can make this a natural thing. There's a real need here. And so that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. So it's, it's a nice marriage of all of the, like the psych and the psychotherapy, the research and kind of all culminating in, in the marketing space, which is, which is nice. I'm kind of pulling from all of those threads. That's amazing. What would you say is the most common mistake that you see businesses making when it comes to this area, understanding their customers? I think it's nice to talk about the customers and being customer forward. It's different to realize that that's not just an attitude. It actually is a point of like parking your bias and parking what you know and going forward with research. And so I think it's very easy to put like, opinions in the research category or anecdotal data in the research mm -hmm. category. I would say that's the biggest roadblock because once you're in the wheel, once you're brought in, moving forward is you're only going to get better. Ask better questions, collect better insights as you go. It's very much an iterative process. I think you got to open that first latch before you can get to anything else. So I would definitely say that's a big mistake, right? To think that, you know, your customers without hearing from them directly yeah and i think as well a couple of things that i have experienced is is the me search <laughs> like, yeah, like that, that term well. yeah i face that problem or the the anecdotal you know the barbecue mm -hmm. conversation you run an idea past somebody and they're all about it and you use that to kind of confirm that confirmation bias if that's bad practice and that's that's the mistake what do you recommend is the starting point what does good look like I think there's a few points at which research is helpful and others where it's maybe stalling. I think it's a good spot to know, hey, this is a hunch and I'm going to test it. That's great. But also being able to kind of create a point at which I'm going to check, like, let's build it to this point and now we can do some validation. So when a company is really new and early and they are probably, like I've worked with a lot of founders who are building for themselves, right? They were like user zero. Active research is going to feel like a barrier and it's not really productive at that point. But now when you're trying to bridge the gap of like putting this in front of others, 
well, now you can create a little bit of separation and say, okay, I think this idea is good. Let me flesh it out. But then you do need to put it in front of folks. And I think that first step is really figuring out any decision that you're making. Do we know this from the customer perspective? Are we guessing? Whether that's like a messaging decision, positioning, figuring out how to say something, should you build this feature? Like all of it can really come back to, okay, well, we're making this decision, but what is it based on? Right. That's a really great way to focus more on like resource allocation. Do we know this is actually a priority? And just challenging the decisions. We can be so quick to move and lose sight of like, okay, but why are we, why are we doing this? So I think a really great first step is challenging, like start in the business and maybe you have enough evidence and maybe you're like, I'm going to test this anyway. Okay. That's fine. Right. But the practice of challenging the root of the decisions, like, do you have the backing for this? Is this justified? Is this like, what are you trying to get? Do you have the insight to be able to make a hypothesis here? I think that's a really important piece to start introducing in the way that you think, right? Because it can feel like customer research is out there and then anything you're trying to do or achieve or move in a business is here, like separate worlds. But actually the research is only to serve the business, right? We don't, there's no point in doing it if it's not going to mean anything. So coming back always to the business, why are we doing this? What's the priority? How should, what's the best way, most efficient way to get the result that we're looking for? Do we have the insight to justify this idea versus that, right? It's all about like just getting clear on where your decisions are coming from. If you know that it's something is gut feel and you're putting a lot of effort and time into it, maybe you would actually rethink it. And so if, if research is to serve the business and help the business make better decisions, when you're in the room or on that call with the customer base, what does that process look like? So the interview process, I do a lot of prep before I go in and the prep looks like I will create kind of a map of, I want to understand their journey from point A to point B, from signing up to buying, from visiting the site or visiting a store even to signing up for the trial or making a purchase. So I get really clear on the parameters that I'm interested in. And I'll have conversations with the team. So whether that's sales or customer success, because they have insights that I can kind of start to plot on my map, right? I'm not starting completely from a blank page. And this just becomes kind of that North Star anchor for me. And I've now activated my curiosity. I'm buzzing with questions. If you just engineer the curiosity and you like turn it on, you can tune in in a way that is quite powerful, right? It has its own sort of battery. So I do a lot of that prep and then I just have the conversation and I'm dotting around in the conversation. What does this mean? Why did you do this? What happened here? What does that word mean to you, right? I'm unpacking and like excavating. Usually the calls will be like 30, 45 minutes. I don't always know where it's going to go. You know, you never know what you're going to find out. And it's kind of the fun of it. So I interrupt a lot because I'm, I'm trying to hunt. And I also don't know what I'm looking for at the same time. And it's a funny zone that you get in, but it's a lot of prep before so that I can be fluid, right? It's the like, I've studied so I can let it go. That's kind of the way I approach these. How do you get to the why behind the why? You know, you've written a lot about this. Uh, mm -hmm. people will say kind of the first time around or, or off the cuff isn't necessarily the real motivator. So I typically stay away from why altogether. If you ask someone why they do something, they will 
totally have an answer. And the answer will feed their own ego. It will feed their image of themselves. It will feed what they want you to think, right? We, we all do this. They probably don't know why they did anything in the vicinity of like the decisions that they made towards buying. And so me asking that, it's just not going to give me anything. So I stay away from that and instead go towards actions and decisions. Like what happened? When did you first start thinking about this? Why did it come up then? What was going on? Paint the picture for me. Oh, did you talk to someone before you did that or you just bought? Okay. But why did you, did you go on the website and you had the tab open for a few days? What was happening in a few days? Did you talk to someone else? Like I am trying to map it. Like I'm getting this story, right? This is that conflict of like actions speak louder than words. And the root of that is like, there's dissonance, right? We say one thing, we do another. There is not always symmetry, right? Like I eat so healthy and who knows how many times I didn't eat healthy this week. Like I can make a lot of exceptions, toss that out the window, right? We don't want bias. We don't want opinion. Mm. what actually happened. And then suddenly you actually have a lot of meat to go to dig through, right? This momentary decision has now a lot of space. Like what we, what, what did you think then? Well, why did you make this decision? Why did you do that? And you've got these little micro micro decisions that together climax into like the ultimate buying, right? The buying is the symptom. It's the result of everything else that's rolled up into it. So I'm unpacking all of those micro steps. And then naturally I'm like, oh, I get it. I get what happened and why, but, and I also understand all the forces that kind of help them up and push them down along the way. So that's sort of the process to not ask why and more questions about what and how come and understanding the actual events. Like if I went to someone else, could I tell them exactly how you made the decision? That's the why, right? It, it, that is the real drivers. A really good sign of an interview is the customer will be like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Because we don't, right? Like we don't think about how we make decisions. We just move. I was watching, um, do you know the show Say Yes to the Dress? Yeah. Okay, I have not seen it. My sister-in-law was over yesterday and we were talking about it. She had seen something on like Instagram and she put on an episode and it was like, such a good lesson in like how people make decisions at the end she was like you know do you say yes to the dress and she was like yes and that this you could see this idea and she even spoke to it like it's such a beautiful dress like for her that's why she chose it and you see all this drama with her family from before right like getting the sisters to buy and then the parents think it's too expensive and it's like this whole jungle of emotions and that's completely forgotten right like she is not going to reflect that in her decision. It's all about, this is like the most amazing dress. I looked so great in it. So it's very much that, right? It's very much uh, like what actually happened versus our version of it. Mm. You touched on their eliminating biases. And I always thought of that from the interviewer's point of view. Mm-hmm. You're actually talking there about, you kind of need to get the customer out of their own way as well. How do you approach that? How do you keep your own biases out of it when you're running an interview and talking to customers? Knowing that we have bias doesn't necessarily mean that we can avoid it. Mm. It's, it's something that you need to actively practice. So like, yes, I know I'm biased, but it will leak all over the place if I don't constantly keep it in check. 
So this is part of the reason that I will sort of study for the interview beforehand, right? I can look at all the facts and lay out all the facts of what I know. And then it's about understanding the story, like what happens to them? Why did they make this decision? I am shifting my focus actively, right? Like I'm letting go of, I need to find out this insight. I'm yeah. focusing on attuning my own curiosity. It's, it's like a, I keep saying it, it's such a small sounding thing, but it is such a powerful muscle, right? Like if you are curious, mm. you will suddenly know every single question to ask, Like no one's going to have to tell you what to say. The curiosity comes from a place of like, I don't know. Yeah. Right. And that in itself is you suppressing your own bias and, and your bias might, will probably come out at some point, but as long as you maintain the come back to what you've prepped, right. That this is the objective. Um, it's much easier to keep it in check. Like I will totally have interviews where I'm like, she's not really opening up or he's really, I don't feel like he's telling me something. He's not being clear here. But you kind of get away from all of that when you stop asking the why and you get into like what actually happened, right? Yeah. There's less bias involved there, more objectivity, um, less for you to react to because it's not like us, we're not swapping opinions. This is just, this is just what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a few pieces there, all that kind of help you keep anchored into like managing your own bias so that you can manage, manage theirs too. That's really interesting. Is there a, an interview or a set of interviews that you recall an aha moment where you, you know, you nailed this insight and found something that was completely unexpected. It happens, it does happen, but in a different way, it's less of like the customer says something and I'm like, Oh, because of exactly what they said, it's more that I've done a few interviews and I keep seeing something. But that something is not important. I've kind of ignored it because I think it's like a nothing. And then maybe I hear it for like the third or fourth time and I'm like, oh, wait, this is something here. The data starts to talk to you. Things that are just interesting suddenly become patterns a few interviews in. So that has definitely happened. I've also had these moments of maybe the business side has said, we have this in this hypothesis and I will, I will surface something different which is cool. But very often in the interviews, it's the synthesis. It's the, it's a compound investment, right? Like you've done a few and now you start seeing things. Oh, I see. Like he might've said a really small thing and I'm like, oh, that's what was happening there. That usually happens after you've got a few kind of in the bank to start to see what's really happening, right? Because now they're not just customers, they're interacting with each other. They're forming this like audience. It's a lot of data, especially with the qualitative side. I'm in the middle of some analysis right now and there's always this like brain explosion moment of like, this is so much. I don't, it's like you you can make sense of it in your own mind, but only because you've gone through it all. And then the process of like translating it into meaning for the client, but it's fun. The other thing that I read you wrote recently that really resonated with me, you said people don't open up because of who you are, they open up because of how you are. Mm. Tell me more about that. What does that mean in the context of sitting across from someone and trying to understand them? Tone, uh, intent, how you kick off the call, your 
it sounds sort of airy fairy, but your energy, how much of your attention is in the room, a lot of that impacts how people open up to you. There's such an exchange of energy that is louder often than, you know, they're not saying every single thing when they come in the room. There's a lot that is unspoken. There's a sigh, there's a frustration, there's a glance at the clock, all of these really subtle cues. And so when you bring into the room this energy of like, I really just, I just want to understand what happened for you. There's no right or wrong. I'm genuinely curious. Mm. It does something, right? People want to share. They want to open up. You can take any agenda out of it, right? You're not a business. You're just a person. You can get away with a lot. Like I will, I will interrupt in an uncomfortable way, but I, I set the stage beforehand mm. so I can get away with it. Or my questions will get progressively more direct. But I, I can afford it because I know I've created a baseline. When you realize like so much of rapport building is you as opposed to the building, you know, it's how do you show up? How do you come forward? Like you can create a lot of the rapport and environment for it um, of your own. And then the other person will just naturally respond. It's very rare that you're going to talk to a customer that has put a lot of thought into how they want to show up for you, right? Because they're doing you a favor. Yeah. which is good because you have a lot of leeway. The call is totally in your hands, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you show up calm, like relax, uh, your tone, your intent, the smile, like all of that energy, it makes a difference. It's like the, the small kind of things that turn into big things. Mm-hmm. That sounds potentially quite draining. Do you have to do anything <laughs> away from it? So reset and, and prepare and things like that? It's told it's very involved. So I don't do more than like three a day. I was an advocate for a while of this like interview immersion, right? Like you want to immerse in the insights. Mm-hmm. And I was doing with those clients like eight a day. And I would do like two days and then to get like whatever the 16 or 15, if we could, it's a lot. It's hard to show up. Mm. in the same way. So I space them out. You still want to create an incubator for yourself and stay sort of in the flow in, in that pocket. So having them at like one at nine and one at one and one at five is kind of annoying, you know? So I will pick certain days that I have them and only do them in the morning or like a nine to one and keep those slots open, make sure I have enough space in between. I like that, right? You have time to process and you have you can keep your momentum behind your curiosity as it's much like bulldozing through, right? So every time I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. Let me, I'm curious what this person says, right? You can keep your own flame going, which is important. You touched on that curiosity and it becomes almost a, a self-charging battery. Mm-hmm. Does that show up outside of your work? What, what do you do in, in life that, that fuels some of that? I think I grew up being sort of like a pain in the ass. I would just ask so many questions. I didn't want to share about myself. So I just would mm. ask other people questions. Right. And then they would be like, oh my God, I can tell you so many things. We're so close, but it was very engineered. It was very much a mechanism for me to build relationships, but it's really useful uh, now too, in my relationships with family, with friends, 
when there's like some sensitive topics. I had to put more bandwidth, I think, to like brave the awkward. Oh, this is awkward now, but wait, we're, we're just on the brink of something, you know? So it's hard for me to like let it go. But it's a balance too, right? Like you got to know when to pull the brakes in, in relationships. So this definitely been helpful. I do think it has allowed me to have much deeper relationships with people and, and clients tremendously helpful, right? Like there's always this client who is like, they know what they want, but they won't tell you up front. And you will find out when they are probably unhappy at the deliverable, right? Like it's a really handy skill to avoid that because I just, if I don't know, and I'm going to be on the hook for it, for me, it's like, I, of course I'm going to ask. And I will kind of keep asking until I know, especially in a workspace. So that's something I think that's been really helpful. That's really interesting. Would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? I definitely would think I'm more introverted, but I can play an extrovert to a point. Then I need to like introvert and and recharge. So probably a, a combination of both, but I would put myself more on the introverted spectrum. So I'm the same way. And I think it's really interesting you touched on there, this idea of asking questions you know, in social setting, potentially uncomfortable situations as a coping mechanism, something I've definitely started to do more recently and really feels like a win-win because I don't have to do all the talking. For a long time, I looked at introversion as almost counterproductive to kind of success in, mm -hmm. in, in some ways and in business, mm -hmm. but I've actually... I'm starting to identify a spot that works for me well of trying to listen better and empathize better and understand more than trying to be understood. That's so cool. I love that. Listening better is actually asking questions. You get better at kind of talking to listen better. That's really cool. Do you feel like you've gotten better as you've been more deliberate about it? Yeah, I think so. I think it definitely has. I think what I've found is where previously I would want to try and like, you know, I've had feedback professionally that I should be more assertive in meetings um, when I've been sitting in meetings and thinking everyone's talking and I don't need to be doing more talking and sharing more opinions. Mm. I don't think that's what's needed right now. So I used to feel like you needed to be front and center and talking a lot and mm -hmm. holding a room to have impact, but I've actually... If I reflect on my career journey, have been most successful and helped people around me most when I'm involved in situations, but I'm listening and then maybe I'm better one-on-one, -on -one, you know, so I might mm -hmm. hear something in a bigger meeting or in a bigger context and then share that one-on-one -on -one with someone and that leads to an insight or a change in behaviour or a revelation that wasn't there previously. Moving away from trying to be that very alpha CEO style, lead from the front, authoritative. That costs me a lot of energy. That's not my natural comfort zone. I mean, I found this with myself too. It's like, this is like unnecessary expenditure of mm -hmm. energy. I can achieve the same and it just looks different. So that's really cool. You touched on this already, how you approach things to broader life outside of, you know, there will be a lot of people listening that aren't sitting down interviewing customers one-on-one. -on -one. Mm. So what are some of the other areas of life that you've that you're applying what you've learned and and how you are I find that asking questions is also something I do a lot internally I'm very introspective about like 
understanding kind of how I operate. I think that's something that took me a while to get to be able to create a bit of space and look at myself as though like, okay, what's going on here? I can get so stuck in something. And so being able to like see patterns, that's something that I find that I apply to myself a lot. And growing up, I feel like I had that tendency, but I didn't know how to follow through. So the psychotherapy training helped a lot with that, but a lot of it giving you the tools and then you kind of do the excavating. That's a really powerful piece for me. Hey, it's me again. I've got a secret to tell you. We're doing something a little bit different for this episode and I need help from three special listeners who want to make the show better. Hannah's very kindly offered her time to interview three of you guys to get a bunch of insights about who you are, why you like the show and what we can do to make it better for season two. Then Hannah and I will go through what she finds in another episode and I'll use that info to make season two even better for you. So if you'd like to meet Hannah and share your thoughts on the show, just send an email with the subject line interview to hello at joemackay.info. You can find the email address in the bottom of the show notes. It'll take about 20 to 30 minutes of your time and we'll use all the insights that Hannah finds to make season two of The Thought Follower as good as we can. Thanks for your help. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you're coaching other people personally or professionally? Yeah, I, so I do train companies on interviewing and research. And then I have a course that I teach with. It's a digital course. And that used to be a workshop before. I did for a little while do some coaching more of folks in business, um, but much more informally. I don't know. There, it's, it's a funny hat for me to like, I have to be mindful, right? That it's, sometimes it's just a default for me to go into asking questions and understanding. You know, there's always this joke, right? When someone finds out that your background's in like psychotherapist or um, the consumer psych of like, oh, don't analyze me. And it's the joke, but also it's like difficult to turn these parts off. Mm. You know, like it's so much of it is tied to just how I am. I just have the tools now to be able to like do it a little bit more uh, clearly. But yeah, I do some coaching for the interview piece more and the research side of things. But I'm kind of putting a lot of that into the course in these kind of group sessions as opposed to uh, one-on-one. I asked you that question because I see good questioning and good listening as actually a key tool in coaching. Like growing up was a sports coach, you know, you've got the whistle and these are the drills we're doing and you have to do it like this. This is the way to do it. If you're not doing it like that, you know, do 20 push-ups. But when you move into the professional world where you're trying to actually develop people over the longer term, I've found you can't necessarily just sit someone down and instruct them on maybe they could have done better and go and do it like this next time. That's ineffective often. Mm -hmm. Asking questions like you talked about, you know, let's reflect on what happened. I've actually found gets a lot more traction. Totally. What sport? Mainly cricket and a bit of soccer as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I absolutely loved it and I really enjoyed the black and whiteness of this is the way you do this. Like this is Mm. the technique to, you know, bowl a cricket ball or to catch a cricket ball or, or throw you know there is a defined optimized way to to throw a cricket ball coaching in that context is all about helping people arrive at that single final destination as best as you can but when you do move into the the bigger wider world when i was starting out in management and leadership positions that approach wasn't working you know mm. i felt like i knew the best way for something to be done 
and I was trying to instill that in other people. And so it got me thinking about what's a more effective way to help people develop their own skills to solve these problems. And it's another area where kind of asking good questions and listening has, has really helped. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It's funny uh, how we find uncover these things. Eh? It's like that's such a meandering. Well, I think yeah. I'm certainly someone who's very introspective as well. Um, mm. I'm always, and I saw something recently which really hit me, was, you know, 90% of the talking we do is to ourselves. <laughs> I ain't that the truth. And, yeah, it really is. So I love that idea that you've built this skill to, you know, take off the hat, sit yourself down almost and mm. interview yourself in, in a micro way yeah. internally. Is that something that you consciously worked on or is that just experience over time builds up and your kind of innate tendencies? I think a bit of both. I had a lot of feelings growing up, very sensitive, a lot of moving growing up and just constantly feeling a bit like a misfit. That made me pay attention to like other people, right? How can I impress? How can I fit in? I wonder if you can relate. And like, I'm sure a bunch of listeners, like my dad, he does the tiniest thing with his mouth, like unconsciously, I can tell his mood. Right. And it's like with a lot of a lot of little things like that. So I think that skill was there just kind of built over the years as like a self-protective, but it was turned outwards. And then kind of the psychotherapy training helped me sort of pull that in. So I think it was kind of the marriage of like, oh, right, it's all coming from inside me anyways. And just giving me like a roadmap and to help me understand like why I was this like such a sensitive kid. <laughs> What do you measure yourself on, whether that's at the end of the month or coming up to the end of the year? How do you reflect and decide whether it's been a good year or a bad year? I'm not great at that. It's something I do want to get better at. I feel like I'll get caught up in the wave of more hard metrics, you know, like earnings, number of clients or busyness or growth and whatever but there is always this qualitative side I haven't done a good job of that it's very much a reactive in the moment you know and I'm usually looking at it when I'm not satisfied so it's something I think I need to get better at do you do you have what things that you measure probably the three categories I would look at and they are largely qualitative um family like and kind of relationships, you know, family and friends or my social life to an extent. Mm -hmm. How's that going? Am I present enough with the kids and with the family and getting enough social time? The work side of things and then personal health, how active am I, how healthy am I feeling, how much am I sleeping, things like that. And I'm, I think what I'm trying to do is balance those three areas but I'm recognizing that it's it's over a period of time. You know, you can't, mm. you're not going to have all three in perfect balance every single day. I'm trying to take a longer view of, okay, well, this year, how has my health been? Like, am I feeling healthy compared to where I was this time last year? And then similar to you, like drawing that roadmap. So like we've moved house this year, for example. And so that's meant that health has taken a bit of a backseat because there's a lot yeah. of stuff to do around the house and getting used to that. So I'm recognizing that the health side of things for now is is a bit on the low end, but is this like a regular, like a quarterly, a monthly? Are you documenting or it's kind of a mental? No, note? it's, I mean, because I'm always talking to myself, it's kind of all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm trying to get better at trend mapping it out over a larger period of time. 
That's cool. It, it feels like an easier thing to take on. Like, I'm like, oh, that's something I can do. I like those categories to just kind of keep check, you know, without having to create like a whole document yet with, with, around it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't be in the document. I'm the kind of person, I, you know, I got the, the Garmin watch and stuff and for the first probably three weeks was so excited. I was waking up every morning and checking sleep and then life kind of happened. If I do some exercise and I forget to turn it on, but I never look at any of the the results or anything like that so i'm, I'm certainly um we're not always rational and there's all the rational level of stuff about planning things and scheduling and documenting and then there's just life as you know as a parent with a three-year-old and a one-year-old and, and and i would say of those three categories the family piece is my focus right now when you're trying to do a lot like, like i always am i'm just naturally always looking for more if you're really prioritizing one thing then the other two you know buckets may, may suffer to an extent but i think there's just seasons in life will hopefully balance out it's a very informal very ad hoc kind of reflection process i guess i like it i'm going to take it i'm going to take it on yeah go for it <laughs> one, one other question i wanted to ask you was just around so you know you're running your own business you're you've got a lot on your shoulders is there anything you do in some of those buckets you know whether that's physical exercise, mental health, family stuff, you know, what do you do to, to show up and, and keep doing good work? Exercise is definitely a big one. I find that it cuts off the anxiety from the top layer, just helps me reset a little bit for the day. I've gone through stints of being really consistent with meditation. That's always helpful. And even that I found it's like a compound investment. I think even smaller things like taking better care of what I'm eating, that has a bigger impact. Also, I don't, not packing my calendar. I like looking at it and being like, oh, okay, this is a nice, I've got a nice chunk of time today. And then some really small kind of stupid things like I really like lighting that is not like so harsh in my face or I like working at my desk and it's like I have a lot of space and just these little more aesthetic points of feedback that keep me going. Hannah, thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat to me today. What's the best way for people who are interested in learning more of your story and seeing what you're up to? What's the best way for people to follow your journey? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. This was a ton of fun. I am active on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to find me. I do some like free classes every now and then, but you'll get wind of all of that if you just like give me a follow on LinkedIn and hit that bell so you can get some notifications. I can definitely vouch your content on LinkedIn really, it's really thought provoking for me. And I think maybe it's just the space that I'm in particularly, but you have a really nice way of summarizing things and kind of reflecting things back that really do get me thinking and reflecting. And, and there's always an actionable tip in there. So highly recommend your, your LinkedIn content. Thank you. You stay well. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you liked the episode, please leave a review, give it a five-star rating, and share it with one of your friends. Otherwise, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always trying to make the show better, so I'd appreciate any guest recommendations, feedback on the show, or topics you'd like me to cover in the future. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.